there are so many references in Scripture about becoming like Jesus. In my opinion, it's one of the most staggering promises ever that um, Jesus has been called the last Adam, which means He's the representative agency of, of the human race that paid the price for all of our sin on the cross. So uh, we've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And so, you know, God put us in Christ. Just like we were in the first Adam, God put us in the last Adam. And so when Christ died, we died. And when Christ was raised, we were raised. And what we are called to do is receive and believe this gift of grace, this gift of of the finished work of the cross. We identify with Christ. So when He was raised, we were raised and seated with Christ um, in heavenly places. And then He's also called the second man. The second man. Which means He started a whole new prototype or a whole new race of people. And uh, so He capped off and finished off the consequences of the first Adam's sin. He took care of the bad. And then He opens the door for us to walk into our new identities as sons of God. And new species, a new creation being, we're born from above. And um, I just think that the revelation of the indwelling Christ and the work of Christ and His, in, His inner inside presence in us has been probably one of the most untapped revelations that we walk out in this. You know, we've reduced this Christian thing to a religion. When in fact, it's the empowering presence of the indwelling Christ that causes us to be transformed into His likeness. Amen. How staggering is that? that? That is really the gospel. A new race of people. A new, a new race of people that walk with His mind, that walk with His heart, that walk with His power, that walk with the same intimacy with the Father that He had. That, that, that honestly are, are, have this umbilical cord to heaven and we have a constant nutrient so the Father's life flowing through us. No matter where we are, what we're doing. And so this idea that we're a new species, a new creation beings, and He's the prototype of the firstborn among many sons. Come on! It's like He opened the door to restoring us back to the original intent of Adam and Eve. To walk on the planet, to walk in the garden, and do the same things that Adam and Eve were called to do, which is rule and reign and bring and be fruitful and multiply and bring the kingdom onto the planet and co uh, basically have co-regency with God on the earth. What a thought. In other words, God said, let them rule. I'm breaking off a chunk of my authority and I'm giving it to the human race. So, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do things outside of my involvement with you. I'm not just going to displace you. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to die for your sins or restore you back to relationship with me and then I'm going to infuse in you the capacity to do exactly what the Adam, first Adam and Eve did. So I'm not even sure if we fully had the revelation of this kind of grace. That we're right with God through Jesus. We are literally right with God through Christ. So the only thing God's dealing with right now is not our false and fallen self. It's not our, you know, our, our sin habits. The only thing God's dealing with is He's coaching our new man. He's dealing with your new creation son. 
Because the, if, if he begins to um, start talking to you about all your sins and all your mistakes, then you're going to try to improve yourself with the law, and it's actually going to activate your flesh. And it's going to undermine the finished work of the cross. So God, God is really into displacement. He's really into, look, I'm going, to, I'm going to bombard you with your identity, your new identity, and displace your old one. In fact, I'm not only going to displace your old one, I'm going to kill your old one. Because there's nothing in your false self that has any redeeming value. So guess what? It's got to die. That's my answer to your false self. It's going on the cross. Now, the only one I'm talking to is your true self. And I am going to displace some of your sin habits, all of your sin habits, with my ways, with my heart. And so, he doesn't pre get preoccupied with pointing out our negativity. He's preoccupied with pointing out his fruit. Is actually gazing on Jesus. The more we commune with Jesus, the more we walk with each other in skin form, the more we actually become like him. That's the paradox. We think we can get improved if we, you know, uh, confront each other with all the negativity. You know, just point out the bad and by golly, that'll fix everything. Has that ever helped you? Now, it doesn't mean that God's not aware when we blow it. He's not like dumb. He, he gets it. But he's not, he's not having a, con, con, um, a deliberate attempt to make you feel shame or guilt. Or condemned. That's not how he operates. Because shame, guilt, and condemnation never helps anybody. So what God's trying to do is put us in a family that good news is each other all the time. And so I want to just point to one of the many verses that talk about who Jesus is. It's in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15. Um, and I'll just, I guess I'll start with uh, verse 45. If there is a natural body, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 44, 5. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. Right? The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. <laughs> wow. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man, the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, which was Adam and Eve, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Now, um, the reason I wanted to just reiterate the gospel is because um, as I've observed the church today, and uh, you know, at 63 years old, I've been walking with the Lord a long time, and, I've, and I, I dialogue with a lot of leaders and a lot of people, and it's my conviction that the number one missing component in the church today is the gospel. <laughs> How's that for crazy? The only thing Jesus talked about was the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of grace. And so the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Christ, 
I think the church has lost the gospel. And unless we recover the gospel, we will not have the power for salvation, which is that word sozo, to be made whole. So as we look upon our tribe, as we look upon our church planting movement, um, our APES leaders, our apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, we have a leadership team. We've been discussing over the last months um, the need to elevate our whole tribe in the gospel in the restoring influence of Jesus on the earth. That basically we're on a collision course with a new heaven and a new earth with giving, we're going to be given new bodies. When you perish, when your old tent perishes, you're going to be given a new body and that new body can eat food. It's, it's going to be in the exact likeness of Christ. You can eat food. You probably won't need to sleep. But you'll have the capacity traverse, to traverse between a new heaven and a new earth. And the creativity and the capacities that you have are literally unlimited. So God is going to restore earth. He's not going to destroy it. He's going to restore it without pollution. And He's going to bring the heavenly realm, the new Jerusalem, to the earth and will we'll interconnect with heaven and earth. A new heaven and a new earth and we'll traverse between the two. And so everything we do in this realm has, will bleed into the millennium realm, reign of Christ. It will bleed into um, the new earth. So that's why learning to be, rule and reign and be responsible is critical. That's why God has us build homes. That's why God has us learn electricity. And learn management. That's why God wants us to learn stewardship of our bodies and our relationships. So we are thinking about the, the word of the Lord to this tribe, the, the rock tribe, which is, you know, based on Christ, who is the rock, and the reclaiming of Christ's kingdom. And we, we're, asking, we're actually hearing the Lord speak to us about next year. And we believe that the Lord has said, you've been working a long time on this idea of sonship, and family, and connection at the heart, and a new identity in Christ. He goes, but I want to upgrade now this family. I want to add to it the army piece. Meaning, I want to teach people to be able to proactively advance the kingdom wherever they go. I want to have... I want to... Um, not You never graduate from sonship, but I want to equip people to be so effective that they can be on gospel mission as a way of life. They are gospel fluent, we're on gospel mission, and we can, we can expand the kingdom everywhere we go. We can displace hell with heaven. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, in an appropriate way. You know, if we're at work, there's, there's confinement to some degree, but not necessarily because we can unleash the Spirit of the Lord even at work. We don't have to use spiritual, you know, religious language or anything. We can actually bring the radiant life of God wherever we go. So the Lord has shown us that there's a couple of things He wants us to emphasize next year that we believe will set the stage for a mighty family hyphen army to bring the kingdom in this region, which is our goal. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But it's going, to do, it's going to require two major things that we're going to work on next year. For the first three months of next year in our tribe, in our family of churches, we're going to work on clarifying, on understanding 
and applying the gospel of grace. We're going to go even deeper into the Word of God so that everyone has a confidence of who they are in Jesus. So, we're starting a Daniel fast January 8th. This Daniel fast goes for 21 days. Basically, it's a veggie diet. And, um, you know, you avoid dairy, you avoid um, meat protein, um, sugar, caffeine, that's the tough one, and alcohol. So it's, it's basically, we're going to purify, you know, or try to try to eat a pure diet and, and use that time to focus on our, the cultivation of our spirit and our callings and our identities in Jesus. So it starts January 8th, it ends January 28th. And up in Laramie, we're actually going to meet every Sunday morning now. We've never done that in Laramie. But we're going to meet every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11. And we're going to primarily have worship and intercession. Uh, however, on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to live stream into the other locations. And we're going to introduce this topic of the gospel of grace. And we're going to call the whole family up to a journey of being able to absorb, understand, and apply the gospel all the time, everywhere. We think that we're all prone to mixture. We think that, that the, the message of grace can get contaminated by a spirit of accusation and judgment. Because our accuser, that's what he does best. Is he makes us, he, he points out weak areas and then tries to take us to court and convince us that we're creepolas and that we're not really worthy of God's love. And so then we start striving and working to fulfill the law when that is absolutely impossible. The law is beautiful and wonderful and perfect and pure, but it has absolutely zero power to make us like Christ. All it does is just, it, it, it shows us what we're supposed to be, but it has no power to help us get there. How many of you understand what I just said? Rules and regulations and the law has no ability to transform us into Christ's likeness. And God practiced that. He, he Basically, he, he revealed that upon the Jews. He said, hey, the smartest, most chosen people on the earth, here's ten strong suggestions, go for it. And they couldn't even pull it off. And it was a taskmaster to drive this arrogant people and this smart people to Jesus. Because all they could do, all we can do, is rely on the power of the indwelling Christ. Christ in us, our hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. So we believe that there's still a, 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 a dance, an awkward dance, between the Christian religion and the kingdom of God in our own tribe. We don't believe that we're fully over to the other side of walking in pure grace as a people. We don't believe that. We think that we're still susceptible to drifting back into the Christian religion, and that includes all of us, and myself included. So we want to galvanize this people and found this people on the gospel of grace. And we think that in some of the other locations like in Kansas City and El Paso, there's a fuzziness about this gospel that is causing people to, do, to be duplicitous, to dance back and forth between 
uh, performance and legalism and relying on Jesus Christ. How many of you caught what I just said? Now, can you not do that? Well, the early church did it, so why would we be exempt from that problem? The Galatian church heard the gospel purely, got it, understood it, and then Judaizers came in and talked him out of it and said, no, you've got to go back to keeping the ceremonial laws and keeping the, 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 the Jewish customs because that's, your, that's what merits you favor with God. So the Judaizers seduced the early church out of the gospel and Paul had to come back into the scene and said, who bewitched you people? Who put witchcraft on your life and talked you back into a religion? Now I've got to start all over again to helping Christ form inside of you. Because you've, been, you, you've now completely been sucked right out of the gospel. So is that, if it was possible for them, you think it might be possible for us. So I'm convinced that most people walk around in a powerless Christianity because they've defaulted back into the Christian religion and not operated with a, a, an intimacy with the indwelling Christ. So one of the books we're going to use to, and we can send this to you free in a PDF version, that we think is one of the most exceptional books on the gospel is a book by Watchman Nee entitled The Normal Christian Life. We have a PDF version we can send you. The Normal Christian Life. I've read this book a dozen times and I still get rocked every time I read it. It is probably the best explanation of the book of Romans and Galatians that I've ever come across. And now it's got a little, you know, you kind of got to take a little time going through it. But this book will prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the gospel of Jesus Christ is really, 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 really good news. Almost too good to be true news. And it will, it will aim you straight at Jesus Christ. Because that's what the Holy Spirit's up to. The Holy Spirit's up to removing anything in your life that is, that is trusting in anything other than Jesus. <laughs> and so the, 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 the study of the gospel, the absorption of the gospel, is going to drive us straight into a love affair with the person of Jesus. And we're going to be Jesus enamored. Jesus in love. Jesus fixated. Jesus mesmerized. Jesus staggered. Jesus profoundly amazed. We're going to walk away with a love of Jesus. And He is grace. It says He's full of grace and truth. He is grace. Jesus is joy. He has the oil of joy all over Him. So the more we connect with Jesus, the more intoxicating the joy in our life. You know a person's got the gospel to the, by the degree of the joy in their life. How's that? The barometer is joy and love and affection. Pure affection. I'm not talking about manipulative affection. I'm, I'm not talking about sensual affection. I'm talking about liberating affection. Brother and sister affection. I'm talking about affection that enables us to sense experientially that we belong to a people. So, the gospel I'm putting together an outline of 12 studies with, a, with Bible verses and, and concepts that we're going to make available to our tribe. And then every, every day during the fast, we're going to publish a little inspirational devotional on the gospel. 
So from Jan 8 to Jan 28, if you sign up on the website, if you're, if you're on the mailing list, which hopefully you are, you'll get a devotional every day to just trigger a new point about the gospel. And it'll come from one of you, one of the leaders, whatever. So how many of you understand that we don't, we, to, to empower our people to be, to be um, effectual in expanding the kingdom, we've got to both understand and apply the gospel. How many of you think that's a good thought? Awesome. awesome. Okay. How many times do you need to hear God loves you? Yeah, like how many times do you need to hear your best friend loves you? Right, so you never, you never run out of this. Now, um, I'm, I'm going somewhere. There's another thing that we're going to do that is critical, and that has to do with working on relational skills, especially relational brain skills. But you can't get anywhere relationally unless you have another lens by which to view people. So... Um, we spent most of the day, much of the day yesterday with Jim and, and Kitty Wilder, who are breakthrough experts on relational d- development. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. But I want to give you one more reason why we cannot do relationships horizontally well unless we have a gospel lens. And these people are absolutely incredulously clear on why we need to be a gospel-centered people. Otherwise, we will never do relationships well. Why is that? Here's one of the comments he brought me. He said, um, a, unless you have a go- my language exact at the first, unless you have a gospel-centered culture, you will not have a people that abhors attacking weakness in others. See, only a gospel-centered people will refuse to relate to someone's false self and their weakness and their sin. Now, a religious spirit comes into a a failed moment, a, a moment of failure, when somebody has a weakness or a sin manifested, and what, what, what shows up, and I love Mono explained this today, the other day, and I've said it in different ways, but he was, it was so well said. When you spot a crisis or a weakness in someone, three spirits show up at the same time. The Holy Spirit, a religious spirit, and a political spirit. Now, a religious spirit is going to throw stones and traffic in the flesh of someone else and use it to, to justify condemnation, criticism, and judgment, and rejection, and disconnection. A religious spirit's going to be offended and critical. You understand what I'm saying? A religious spirit's going to go to court and start accusing the person and judging the person and being irritated and disgusted and offended and pull court on them. So a religious spirit's going to throw stones, to use a figure of speech. A political spirit is going to distance themselves from that obnoxious fallen person because it's guilt by association and I don't want to be associated with this creepola. 
So when pastors fall, for example, in moral failure, two spirits typically win in the church. One, a religious spirit of judgment and accusation. This is disgusting and horrifying. This person is so awful. And two, the leaders of the church distance themselves from that fallen leader because they don't want to have any. They don't want to have anything to do with them because they might think that people f- uh, are assuming they're endorsing their their sin. So that that fallen leader finds themselves judged and abandoned. That's an example of what happens in the church. There's, the church is the only army that shoots its own you know its own soldiers in the back. You know why? Because we're we're duplicitous and mixed around the gospel. Now what what a true gospel-centered people is, is that they understand that what you did wrong is not the real you. Did you just hear what I said? What you did wrong is not the real you. You just lapsed into your false self or you've got some sin, sin habits that haven't been eradicated yet. So your anger, your temper, your lust, your addiction, these things are not the real you. And so we're not going to, re- we're not going to cast you out. We're not going to um, throw you out because your false self just evidenced itself. And we're going to approach you as all is forgiven. We're going to pick up our cross and premeditate forgiveness. So we dare not wander in to, re- to working on our relational s- skills if we don't have a foundation in the gospel. That is the most dangerous thing you could ever do to a group of people is to get them in close proximity to one another, tell them to love one another, and then not equip them with the gospel because by the time they're done, they'll kill each other. They will have excommunicated each other. They will have created a smut file in their own mind on every single person in that group and pulled it out at the appropriate time because they will traffic in the flesh of each other and use it politically. Welcome to the, to the American church. I'm telling you, it's not a safe place. Would you all agree? Okay, so you know what he did? Jim Wilder went on to explain. He goes, we do not take, we do not commit ourselves to confidentiality. And he kind of, yeah, I had the same look as you did, Diana, because I put that in our little manual. We're committed to confidential. Now, what he meant with that is we don't just go out and rattle out people's sins out into the public. But what he says is this. We have no trouble fellowshipping in the light and bringing our weakness into the, into the light because we're not nervous that we're going to be rejected. We're not nervous because no one in our group thinks that that's our true self. So in fact, we have to create the safest place on earth so that people can confess their struggles and their weaknesses because that's the only way you get rid of them. And he says, and the, the people that have to model this are the leaders. And Paul the Apostle did that. He goes, I, 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 I boast in my weakness. He wasn't asking everybody to keep his weaknesses secret and confidential. He's going, whoa, let's just talk about them. If you want to know, here's the, here's the five detailed pages of my sin, just so you know, and my weaknesses. And it's, and it's common knowledge in everybody. 
And why? Because that makes Jesus look really good. This idea of creating a persona that is a mystical guru persona that distances the leaders from the people and says, you know, leaders are, they glow in the dark when no one, you know, and, but everybody, all you commoners are, you know, whatever. And we create a guru religious mindset among leaders. And we say these leaders are required to have an exceptional, exemplary life, which they are, don't get me wrong, they're, they're required to be more loving and true. But what we're saying is that the journey to get there, um, they can't be transparent. So that's the, the church is the, 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 the most dangerous place for a leader. And then after that, everybody else. So we have to create a culture of safety where, we're tra- where we can be transparent, where we don't, our weaknesses are not identified as our true self. Or our sin. Are you tracking with me? So they believe that fellowshipping in the light is, 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 is the requirement for transforming into the likeness of Jesus. And if you can't share your weakness liberally and talk about your struggles liberally and go, okay, this is where Jesus is and this is where Jesus isn't. And I mean that's on every single topic. Why? Because the devil loves to conceal sin. He loves to isolate us, conceal it, keep us in the shadows, keep us in the dark, keep, our, keep secrets. That's where sin gets more empowered. The minute you expose it to the light, it dissolves. It dissipates. So we need to talk about our struggles with food, our struggles with alcohol, our struggles with drugs, our struggles with with you know, sexuality and lust, our struggles with lying or finances or greed. We need to be able to, to struggle, you know, talk about our struggles with anger and impatience and frustration and fear and orphanness and jealousy. If we can't talk about those things, if we can't get them into the light, it's not like we accentuate or take all the time and just sit around and talk about our negativity. But if I don't, if I'm not free to be open and let and let those things out, I won't have the help from the skin of heaven, the body of Christ, to become whole and a real man. So that's why we encourage twos and threes with men, and 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 how and micro churches. But if there's not a culture of safety, those groups don't work very well. They default into kind of religious superficiality. It doesn't work. Are y'all agreeing with me? Y'all understanding? So without a clear understanding of the gospel and the applying of the gospel in our relationships where we premeditate forgiveness and pick up our cross and follow him and operate from the place of the throne room of God, not the courtroom, we have no business inviting people into close relationships because it will be the most dangerous place on earth. They will feel judgment, they will feel condemnation, and they will ultimately experience witchcraft because that is what the legal spirit does. It judges, it rejects, it casts out, and it misrepresents God. So we're getting ready to go into an even deeper invitation to be a family and an army, 
But in order to do that, in order to interface with the world, in order to interface with each other, we've got to be gospel aware. We've got to understand the gospel at a very deep level. We've got to be able to apply the gospel in our relationships and the way we deal with a fallen world. Otherwise, we need to just quit, check out, and call it good. All right, so everybody cool with that? How many of you understand the, the, the reason, the potent reason why we want to pound down on the gospel for the first three months of next year? Okay, I think it's going to blow your mind. I, I think there's, there's more grace available to you than you ever thought possible. <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. In fact, we can't even rule and reign, it says in Romans 5, without receiving, believing and receiving the grace of God. You cannot rule the earth as a new creation son without the animating power of God helping you every minute of every hour. What you're being asked to do is entirely supernatural. There's nothing natural about any of it. And all of that supernatural life we're called to live can only be lived by the grace of of God, the power of Jesus inside us all the time in every way. He wants, to, he wants to be at your construction site, David, every single day. And he wants to be in your office, David, dimming every day. He wants to be with you the minute, I mean, while you sleep, it says. He's even singing over you in your sleep, my goodness. He's inside you and around you all the time, animating you with his grace. So, we want to get this thing down really, really, really big. The whole thing's supernatural. And so we either default to the Christian religion and try real hard, <laughs> or we trust in Jesus and the grace of God. It's, and, you, and honestly, there's no in-between. So if you start mixing grace with works, you've actually you've nullified the whole thing. Because grace, by its very definition, is gift. There ain't no working involved. There's faithing involved. There's trusting involved. There's believing involved. That's what grace, that's how you access grace, by faith. That's the equation. So we are now going to be a people that are going to build on the gospel of God's grace and we are going to help each other access that grace by faith and pull in the supernatural enabling influence of Jesus. And the whole thing is going to give God glory because we're going to be profoundly clear that it wasn't us and it was Jesus. How, how many of you think that's cool? Like we're going to come in bragging on Jesus. We're going to be electrified with our gratitude because we're going to see every minute how he intervened and, and, and animated our life. But if we have a religious disposition, we're going to be just a little bit arrogant and just a little bit ripped off and just a little bit frustrated with people, with ourselves, and with the population, because secretly we think that if I did it, you can do it. You tracking with me? So this is going to require a very humble people that recognizes the whole thing is about Jesus, which is kind of fun, because it, it lifts off performance off you, and it puts it all down on Jesus, and now we receive him, and then, then we do good works. We don't work in order to get Jesus, but after we get Jesus, good works flows from us. Isn't that crazy? All right, so now this brings me to the next topic of emphasis next year. And then we, I want to talk about some practicals about what do we do as a people together. How do we get there? 
which I'm not exactly sure, just to be honest with you. So that's where you guys come in. I'm going to send you my notes to, uh, from today, which are about a lot. But I'm just, I'm just kind of pouring it out. But I'm going to send you these um, this introductory notes. All right, so the next phase is we're going to begin to work very deliberately on cultivating the relational brain skills that are involved in loving well because we think we're on the planet for love. We think loving God and loving people is a pretty big deal. Jesus seemed to think the same thing, right, Franco? He kind of summarized the whole Bible in two senses. Love God, love people. Kablam. Well, love is a relational word. Do we understand that? Love is a relational word. Love speaks of, of intimacy, and it requires a capacity to know how to be intimate at a mind and heart level with other people. So what we've discovered now, thanks to guys like Jim Wilder, is that God has actually hardwired our brains for love. And that different parts of our brain have different responsibilities. One part of your brain, as a predatory side, it's a very primitive part of your brain, and it's able to fight and to flight. You know? Avoid conflict and or take, let's go, let's roll, <laughs> let's fight. So most of us, you know, in our false fallen selves, default to anger or flight or flight or, avoid, or conflict avoidance. You, everybody get that part. Okay, there's another part of your brain that's built for logical thinking, looking at blueprints, doing mathematics, doing engineering, doing design work. And that left part of your brain grows at the speed of information. And it's a very powerful part of your brain. It's a very important part of your brain. It's the logical side of your brain. But that part of your brain was never built to be your leader. However, in America, in the in industry, in the marketplace, and in education, that's the part of the brain that's celebrated the most. The smart people that can, you know, that can are the ones in power that know information. But in reality, that's not the part that was supposed to, to lead you. That's the part that was to manage you. That's the part that will help serve the real leader. And the real leader is the lover side of you that's in the right frontal cortex of your brain. And that part of your brain is so stinking smart that it doesn't grow by the speed of information. It grows by the speed of impartation. It cannot grow outside of being stimulated by affection and delight and belonging. It can actually pick up the atmosphere of the room, the vibe. And so you can't get, you can't grow relationally outside of, of relationships in a healthy atmosphere. Now what, the, what that brain does, what that part of your brain does, is it sinks or bonds to a family. And when you have a mind meld and a mind sink, then your mind picks up on the energy and the vibe and the, and the culture of the people around you, and it's caught more than taught. It's absorbed experientially. It's that fast. It's, it's so fast, 
It, it moves at, at nano split nano. You can't even measure it. And it's the part of your brain that never stops growing. Other parts of your brain will go, you know, they'll start losing their steam, but not that part of your brain. It never loses its steam. It actually, it actually can, it never, it can never stop growing. It's that intelligent. So emotional intelligence, relational intelligence, relational brain skills, in other words, how to love well on the basis of the gospel will help determine the quality of your life and the depth of your joy. All of your pleasure centers are up in that right frontal cortex and they're all stimulated by intimacy. How cool is that? Your, your level of joy is directly proportionate to how good you are at relationships. So that's why these brain scientists call this study relational joy. And now the, the more official term is neurotheology. And there are very, very smart people that are focusing on faith development, faith formation. How do you mature people like Dallas Willard and his wife Jane? These, the Willards are at the top of the heap in terms of the, the conceptual understanding of how people change and become like Jesus. So the Willards and, and more importantly, James Wilder, they started a counseling center and they began to try to aim their insights at schizophrenics, the most wounded people, emotionally and mentally, and in, in, in addictions, on every form of addiction. And they discovered that, 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 the, that the classic therapeutic models do not work. That the only way you can help somebody that's really messed up, and quite frankly, anybody, including you, is to get them into a bonded relationship with a legitimate family that is full of love, and that over time, the, the brain starts firing on all cylinders, and they start pulling out of their dysfunction. This is breakthrough technology. They've proved it through brain scanning. And so neurologists psychologists, Christian theologians have now found each other and formed a collegial group of people and they've designed, designed what they call the life model. And so we got to meet the guy that is the, one of the, the innovative breakthrough technicians in this world and it's Jim Wilder and his wife Kitty. And she is a, basically a life coach. She does coaching in their experiential learning weekends. Um, I've got way more information than we can possibly go over in terms of the life model, but I'm going to send you like eight pages of an introduction to it. And all of it is going to make total sense to you. I don't want it to scare you, though. I don't want it to overwhelm you. I don't want it to intimidate you. I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, this is for real, you know, ac academic types. Actually, just the opposite. It's for everyone and we're going to start slowly moving through these 19 brain skills and practicing them on each other. You understand that we're a movement that's been built on the foundation of relationships, upon heart connection, on intimacy, on exchanging the life of Christ between us, the shimmering plasmic jelly-like substance of Jesus between us. All right, so... 
the two greatest mistakes I've ever made in my leadership over the years is I was given an assignment and a vision from the Lord to help form spiritual tribes, and he gave me the theological and biblical rationale for it, but I didn't know that a deficiency in the gospel would kill us. Nor did I know how to inter integrate all these relational brain skills into our microchurches. So we bring people in that are mixed, have a mixed gospel, which means that opens them up to being judgmental. And secondly, we get people together and we don't give them the skill sets on how to get along. And the next thing you know, we got problem after problem after problem. And, I, and I'm like, get me out of here. Like this is... This is beyond what anybody is possibly capable of doing because people are so jacked up, it ain't going to work. So no wonder most pastors never go to small groups. Seriously. They're, they're hell on earth. They're the worst place on earth. You can get more damage in a small group than anywhere in the church. And so most pastors haven't broke the code. And they're going like, forget about it. Just get her, hurt everybody into a big room. Have a big old whoop-de-doo moment. Inspire them with a message and get those people back out of here quick. Except get something out of their billfold. Get something out of their billfold and, and, and amass a big group of programs and meetings. And then for God's sake, don't make me mess around with these people. Because it's bad. It's real bad. Let alone go to the poor and the broken. So Jim, Jim, I said, Jim, we've been experimenting with this thing for 20 years and we've had some fruit. We have some people break through into their good identities and we have some inner healing and we have some measure of success and affection being exchanged. And I said, but the, the, the technologies that you bring here are way beyond where we're at. And I go, you know, will you help us? And well, they were in our living room because... I asked them to help us. They just moved here from Southern California where they had this therapy center. And their two boys live in Denver. And so they're, they're here kind of in beginning the journey toward whatever retirement looks like in the kingdom. And he's here to write another book. What he said to me when I was personally with him was just staggering because I knew this intuitively and by observation. He told me, he goes... Unless someone developmentally moves out of their end of just being their own individual self and moves into what I would call a tribe, they will never develop emotionally, relationally, spiritually in any way. God has, re God has required that people bond to a larger tribe to tell them who they are. And I about fell out of my chair. I said, here now is a professional clinician, a Ph.D., and human development telling me that everything I wrote about in my dissertation was accurate. Except I just had stuff like shimmering, plasmic, jelly-like substance of <laughs> Jesus and you know, emitting the affection of God and all this stuff. And he's like laughing his tail off. I said, I, I proved in my dissertation that every human malady, and I did do the social, I did the sociology, the work there, but every human malady, every crime, every criminal, every all the prisons, all the poverty, the systemic problem in the earth is fathering and family, a lack thereof. Every single problem can be pointed back to that. Now, I did prove that, 
but I didn't have the degree of the brain science and the neurological pathways and the right frontal cortex and the 19 brain skills. So here along, this guy is looking on how to fix schizophrenics, and I'm working on how to fix cities with poor people. And the two of us are meeting in our 60s, and I'm about to flip out because what he's saying is so incredible that it would like I'm, my mind is blown. So we sat here and hung out with a guy that produced these books and a whole team of people that have a competency level that's amazing. But what they never have been able to do is they've never been able to see a, a family of churches, a network, whatever you want to call it, a tribe, absorb all their stuff and run with it as, a, as their operating system. Not one time has it happened. And I said, so I said, you have no, but no group. He says, we have different groups like the disciple-making group of na the navigators have looked at this. Some people in the Catholic Church have looked at it. Some different organizations are, uh, you know, people that are committed to discipleship and therapy are looking at it. But no, never has a leadership team tried to absorb this stuff into their life together. And I said, why is that? And he said, do you want to know the honest truth? I said, of course. He goes, seriously, do you really want to know why it has not worked in a general way among leaders? And I go, okay. And he proceeds to spell it out for me. He goes, the first thing is, none of the leaders want to be transparent. Because if they tell the truth, they're fired. Okay, good point. Secondly, they have, to, they have to get results in their ministry in order to pay their bills. Because money and results are tied together. Whereas results-driven culture. And all these pastors got hired with resumes, just exactly like you went out to find a job, so did they. There's a resume, there's, a, there's an interview, there's a performance expectation, and the goal is to get nickels and noses in that room and pay the bills and run the programs. And he goes, you can't, you can't achieve relational excellence in an environment that requires results and money. Well, that's the whole system right there. I mean, money and results. I mean, that's the whole system, right? So now we're finding out. Then he says, and here's the big one and the worst one. And I'm like, like these are fairly hard. He goes, now here's the worst one. He goes, the devil. The devil, most people do not know how to do the level of spiritual warfare necessary to win this battle of covenant life. Because the minute you get into close relationships, the devil's showing up very quickly because, you know, power is in unity. He goes, they, they did not prepare. They were not prepared for the level of demonic attack that was going to come against them. So we have had groups come and tell us. We've had, it, we've had leaders of churches come and say, we want to do the life model in our church. Help us out. And he goes, not one of the churches ended up surviving when they introduced this topic. Not one of them. They're all done. They're, not one made it. And he goes, they made it because either the leaders couldn't cut it or the people couldn't cut it and they're out of there. Because the demonic got right in the middle of them and blew it up.
And I went, wow, this is real encouraging. Janet and I are sitting there looking at each other. And they're like, oh my gosh. But I know experientially what he's saying is exactly right. Because we've been trying to do this for a long time. And we've watched this dynamic time and time again. Now the good news is, about us, one, I'm not afraid to tell you where I'm weak and sinning. I will tell you. I mean, not all of you. But the ones of you that can handle it, because it's not like, f- f- the good news is I'm not, I'm not messing around with other women. I'm not stealing money. No. <laughs> no. And, I, you know, and so we've got a fairly mature level of holiness operating in our life. doesn't mean I couldn't you know, turn my head at the wrong time or gawk a little too long or whatever, but I've, I've got friends that I will talk to about that. Like I, I don't have, like I'm too old right now to default back into the religious spirit. I, I just can't even think about going back to running mega churches, which I used to do, running big churches and running, being a part of you know traditional church. I cannot do it at all. I'm not even. I mean that that idea just re, is repugnant to me. But not that there's any. By the way, I want to say because it's being taped. Not that there's anything ultimately wrong with that, because God uses everything from the mega church, from ministries to do different things with different people. So I am not going to be Mr. Down on those people. Because I think God has a, a role for everything that's going on. So I'm happy with it. But for me and my house, as hard as it is, we're going to move forward in what we think is authentic, full-service, Jesus-loving Christianity. All right, we're going to do that. So, two... We've never, for the last 30 years, ever made a decision or more uh, based on money. Now, we do need money, but I'm not going to do what I do because of money. We didn't move here for money. We served Laramie for years without money. In fact, it cost me more money to go to Laramie and start that church. So we've got, we're, we're trying to set ourselves up where I am not going to make any decisions based on money. Now, we, knew, we do need money, but it's not... It's not the basis. So if people come or people go, we are not going to, to have a political spirit that attracts people because they're tithers or not tithers or there's money or not money. We're not going to do that. Thirdly, we've started FHOP, Father's House of Prayer. And we have cultivated a lifestyle of prayer and fasting to do spiritual warfare to contend with hell. And we are not stupid now. We're not ignorant. We're not going to be caught off guard. The devil's going to come and whisper nasty stuff into your mind about every other person in this room, including yourself. And you are going to need to learn to do battle within your mind on how to hold ground when hell tries to divide us and offend you and disconnect you. So, here's the deal. We have a fighting chance of doing this. I think another problem was they didn't have a foundation in the gospel. So, I'm not saying that it's, not, it's going to be easy. It hasn't been easy so far for the last 20 years, has it, you guys? I mean, has this been easy? Has this been a cakewalk? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right, it's been easy. So, but here's the deal. The power is in covenant. The power is in oneness. The power is in affection. See, witches know that. That's why they call them covens. That's a knockoff of the word covenant. Witches know that the more unity they have, it's counterfeit unity, around 
around what they're trying to do, the more evil they can do. Or white magic they can do. But the church is the, is the most spiritually unintelligent group, I've, the, the Christian religion I've ever walked around. They kill, the, they kill unity. As, they'll, they'll dump people quickly. They'll walk on people and just with one offense. I've had more people walk out of this place with an, with an email without even the benefit, or not even at all, just boom, they're gone. After investing and investing and investing, and I'm not saying, and so you've got to release people. You can't have a healthy church without freedom. We're not going to be a cult. We're not going to cross boundaries and into other people's marriages and lives. We're not going to do that. So you have to operate by the rules. And when they define bonding, they're very clear about what is kingdom bonding and what is illegal bonding. It's not, we're not talking about codependence here. We're talking about bonding that empowers people. Bonding that produces more life on Jesus. And bonding not to create a codependence on the person that's doing it. I mean, there's, there's a lot to know about what we're going after. It's very healthy. It's very amazing. But in the middle of this, there's 19 brain skills that you can develop over time that, make, that, that will enable you to transfer the love of God down into your relationships at work and wherever you are. And we're going to know those 19 brain skills. We're going to practice them. And if you want to go on this journey... We're, next year, we're going to learn the gospel really well and how to do relationships really well. And that will bleed into all seven mountains of influence in our culture, which is the marketplace, education, hospitals, art and media, civil social services, family life, marriages. So why do marriages implode? They don't know the gospel really well. They don't have the relational brain skills to function well. And they don't make it. And they don't have the support of a tribe. So are you, you, are you interested in going on this journey? You don't have to say, you know, you don't have to like commit your life to, for, from here to the end or anything. But, all right, we're going to, this is what we as a tribe are going to address for the first six months. And we're going to integrate this even more in our tribal gathering in, in the last week of June. So you're going to start hearing, uh, hearing and hearing and practicing this gospel way of life, this relational way of life, really, really intentionally this year. And we think it will upgrade our, our sonship and our soldiering and our family life to bring the kingdom on earth and advance it, his kingdom. Because we can't do that outside of relationships. You guys got any questions about this? That's a lot. I know you just got any questions, any thoughts, any like any any fears that this is the wrong direction or this is like off base. You're free to say that here. We won't. I think it's exciting you know, because it brings hope. it's going to bring wholeness. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. people don't know how to function um, right. I see in the church you know people like you said instead of being a team they backstab each other instead of supporting each other they walk away so I think this is amazing okay wonderful. almost every missions organization and almost every church has imploded because of the lack of relational skills in the people and the leaders
So, okay, so here's the first book. If you want to get a book and start reading, I think some of you have already done this. It's kind of a distilled, he called it the orange juice concentrated version. It's a distilled introduction. It's called Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You. You can take out your cell phones and take a picture of this after, we, after we're done. Okay, so that's the distilled introductory. Hey, there you go. All right, um, the next one would probably be Joy, Joy Starts Here. So look at this stuff. Now, there's three things they say you've got to do to become a whole person. They say the first thing you need to do is develop an Emmanuel lifestyle, which we call FaceTime. So they work on how do you hear God's voice, how do you encounter him, how do you touch his presence. They say you cannot be whole unless you are, know how to commune with Jesus. So they call it the Emmanuel lifestyle. They have a, a, a high value on journaling. And I think since it's named after one of my best friends, Mono, whose name is really Emmanuel, I love the way they talk about that. So... Whenever you see Emmanuel lifestyle, you can think of Mono and pray for him because he needs it. All right, so Joyful Journey is, is coaching people on how to switch on the capacity they have to commune with Jesus and to journal. And so by the time we're done this year, we want everybody to have a really well-developed FaceTime, communication time with Jesus throughout the day. That is critical, Okay. The second thing they say you need to have is what they call a multi-generational, I would say, tribe. But I would even expand it. You need to be in a place where, they, they would agree with this 100%. It needs to be intergenerational, in other words, old and young, because the old helps secure and grow the young. Two, it's got to be interracial. We need, to, we need to have more black and Hispanics in this place. We do in Kansas City. We have an interracial church, and that's very exciting. Hispanic, black, Asian. So we need to have interracial because there's things of Jesus inside of every racial group that we need on our spirit man. There's grace deposited in every tongue, tribe, and nation that we need. So racism is a demonic strategy to keep people from Jesus, the Jesus and others. Third, it's, he says, you need poor and rich. We need the poor among us and the rich among us. Fourth, we need weak and strong. That's a Bible word. Weak and strong. And finally, it needs to be international. This has to bleed into low joy areas like Myanmar and other countries of the world. So those are criterion relationally that you need to have in order to become like Jesus. Intergenerational, international, interracial, you know, Poor and rich, so that's socioeconomically diverse, all that. You need, you need to be in a tribe that feels that's that kind of creative dynamic. And then finally, they say you need to cultivate the 19 brain skills. Now, uh, relational skills. Here's the book that kind of spells them out and describes them in detail. And what they do is they put on workshops where people can experientially start absorbing these relational brain skills and you, but you can only do it experientially in games and play and encounters. You, so you can know informationally what they are, but you won't get them unless you practice doing them. Did that make sense? Okay, then they came out with this book. Again, Jim, Jim Wilder was the primary author called Rare Leadership. Rare Leadership is going to be one of the top blockbuster books 
in New York Times bestseller, I guarantee you it is going to revolutionize the way business is done in the marketplace. And But this is like the tip of the iceberg. All the theory of it is in here. This then aims at leaders and says, you're leading from the wrong part of your brain. And because of that, you have a fear-based culture of performance and people aren't happy at your business. And if you want to unleash true creativity, then you've got to lead differently. Because performance and fear um, are actually shutting down people. And so most people don't want to just show up for a paycheck. They want to be a value. They want their, their voice heard. So the Rare Leadership book is a huge uh, component of our life together. So there's the resource. You can't take them because those are mine and I'm still going through them. But All right. You guys look very overwhelmed. Are you overwhelmed? Janet, are you overwhelmed? What's your, I don't want to ask Janet. She's too honest. <laughs> I'm thinking of Josh Hark when he says about the fire hydrant. Yeah, drinking from the fire hydrant. I, I'm Okay, I'm just kind of giving you an overview. I know this is a lot. We'll break it down and do bite-sized pieces when we, whenever we get together. Um, we, but we want to, over time, integrate these in our microchurches and in our DNA groups and stuff. Now, here's where we're going to run into a little bit of a glitch. Okay? And this is what I want to talk to you practically about. Up in Laramie, they are, they are moving toward uh, Sunday mornings and adding that to their arsenal of influence in the city. And they need our, they need our support to do that. So I'm trying to figure out how do we maintain our ongoing relationships and our own, own growing, our ongoing growth apart from a Sunday morning. How do you mean they're moving towards Sunday morning? What does that mean? That means every Sunday morning they're going to meet. Corporately. Corporately. Oh, they don't? They don't. They only meet once a month. Oh, I, I just thought that mm -mm. we all joined them once a month. No. And I think that's too much pressure for all of us that drive and for families to go up there. So we're thinking about keeping Sunday, Sunday morning once a month of us going up there on the last Sunday of the month. But I'm, I'm praying about, and I don't think we can solve that today, but I'm praying about what do we do down here? Because the Lord has called us to, to help facilitate a tra transition in the church in, in Colorado. He's called us to inspire transformation. And what has happened is, is that two churches merged in, in the Fort Collins area, and they've got this building, and they have asked me to help coach their... They want to start microchurches, but they don't know how to do it. So they're asking me to coach them. And I don't want to necessarily say we're merging our church with that one. I'm not saying that. But I'm trying to figure out how we can do this because the way I'm viewing you guys is differently than how I've ever viewed any other group. And I wanted to see if you can agree with this viewing. What I'm, the way I'm viewing you guys is all leaders and partners with me to help facilitate a saturation of micro churches in the region. In other words, I'm viewing you as an apostolic team, whether you like it or not. And I want you to, I, I just developed a, a, a manual, a field manual on how to do microchurches well. And it's about that thick. It integrates the life model. 
And what I'm hoping for is that you guys will actually not think of yourselves like members of a local church that are traditionally um, passive, but as partners with Jan and I and Mono and Lori to learn these dynamics so that, y that we can go and do catalytic conferences and equipping experiences with the whole body of Christ and eventually have micro churches planted all the way past Denver, Castle Rock and, and Colorado Springs, all the way up to Cheyenne. And I'm, I've been in dialogue with guys like Peter Young that lead the Bridgeway Church. That's a large kind of Bethel church in Denver. And what, what I think is going to begin to happen is a, a Jesus movement is going to hit this area, but the, the wrong wineskin, there's no wineskin in place to hold it. So it'll be a very short-lived visitation. It'll, it'll have a very short shelf life, like every move of God, including Azusa. They all imploded because of relational breakdowns. Do you understand what I just said, how the significance of that? Every move of God has a short shelf life, and every single one of them, including the Jesus movement, ended because of poor relationships. They lack the gospel clarity, and they lack the skill set that we're talking about here. So what if we become experts, so to speak, in the gospel, in the life model, and in microchurch planting, what if we become experts and an apostolic consultants to the whole church and help be a catalyst for the planting of these microchurches up and down the front range? What do you think about that? That's pretty crazy. I can see us doing equipping for business, the business community. Like that's what we want to do in Laramie, which is why we made our room neutral. So that we could bring business people in. In other words, it doesn't have a lot of Christian symbolism all over the place. It's, a, it's a, like a conference room. So we could have the business community there. We can have the artists come in. We could, there's not one area that we don't want to talk up to. So I'd love to do the same thing down here. Now I tell you, I did a very bold thing. I talked to, to this guy. Um, I'm going to turn this off. Hey, everyone. Thank you. Praise the Lord.